the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. It's time now for a smart plane talk regarding politics, Israel, and the law. This is the Victory Hour with Andrew Parker of Parker Daniels Keyboard. Wise counsel, winning results. Now, here's your host, Andrew Parker. I'm impressed with my attorney, Bernie. I'm impressed with his influential friends. He's got very big connections. And it's I Sunday, 4 o'clock, and what does that mean? It means it's the best hour in radio of the week. It is the Victory Hour. I'm Andrew Parker, and welcome. Once again this week to all of our regular listeners, 4 o'clock every Sunday we talk politics, Israel, and the law. And this week we are honored to have a very special guest with us who will be joining us in just a few moments, and that is the Deputy Consul General to the Midwest here in the United States from the Jewish State of Israel, Daniel Ashine joining us today on the Victory Hour, and we are going to talk all Israel and the U.S.-Israel relationship and the importance of the U.S.-Israel relationship to all of us here in the United States, but also to the freedom-loving people in the Middle East, and that is the citizens of the state of Israel. So... uh, When we get into it, as it relates to Israel and the geopolitical issues, the economic issues, the strategic uh, reliability of our most important ally in the Middle East, and that is the state of Israel, uh, we're going to hear from uh, U.S. uh, ambassador representatives like the Deputy Consul General. We've had the Consul General on uh, before. Aviv Ezra a number of times, the consul general before him uh, as well. And uh, you you get to hear firsthand from the government of the state of Israel. Before we uh, bring Daniel on, uh, jot this down, though, with your number two pencil and, you you know, pull out that yellow pad. I know you've got it maybe crinkled up in the corner in a drawer somewhere. Pull it out, uncrinkle it, and jot down... uh, In two weeks, we will have third district uh, congressional candidate, Republican congressional candidate, running to unseat Congressman Dean Phillips, who is the current representative for the third district in the state of Minnesota, Democrat Dean Phillips. Tom Weiler is going to be with us on the show, running as a Republican uh, against Dean Phillips. And I'll tell you, if Tom Weiler wins, it will have been an enormous red wave across the United States because the third congressional district now, I wouldn't call it solid blue for sure, but, uh, it, 
uh, it is a district that if the uh, Republicans are able to win that district, as they did, they held it for decades prior to uh, more or less the shift in the 3rd Congressional District, they're able to win it. It's going to be a bellwether for trouble for the Democratic Party. Uh, And we'll see how Tom Weiler plans on moving forward uh, to to try to uh, unseat Dean Phillips. Tough task, but Weiler, a U.S. Navy uh, veteran of a couple of decades uh, with a number of very important jobs in the United States military and the Navy uh, is going to talk about, uh, talk with us about why he should be the representative for the third. Let's turn now to a discussion of the state of Israel and we welcome to the Victory Hour, Daniel Ashheim, the Deputy Consul General uh, of uh, Israel in the, uh, to the Midwest. Here in the United States, this is a branch of the Foreign Ministry of the State of Israel and the U.S. Embassy. It is spread across the country, and the Midwest has its region with the Consulate General in Chicago, uh, the Consulate General's office in Chicago, and uh, the... uh, The good uh, deputy has agreed to join us today. He's been in this position since 2020, again, stationed out of uh, Chicago. He's got a uh, Ph.D. and very learned, and he'll be able to educate us about what are the current events, what's going on in the state of Israel. Daniel, welcome to the Victory Hour. Thank you very much, Andrew. Happy to be here with you today. Absolutely. As uh, listeners know, my son uh, is a citizen of the state of Israel. He lives there and uh, he lives in Tel Aviv and he's very interested. He'll probably, uh, he's probably listening to the show right now to hear what the voice of the government of the state of Israel has to say on the issues of the day. Daniel, tell us about what the consulate general is, what they do here in the United States in terms of the Midwest. So the Consulate General of Israel to the Midwest, as you mentioned, is based in Chicago, but we're responsible for nine states in the United States. And this is the largest territory of any other consulate that we have. So it starts on the Dakotas, we go to Indiana, Nebraska, Iowa, and of course here in Minnesota. And our main goal is bring Israel closer to the Midwest and the Midwest closer to Israel, whether we are working on political ties, whether economic ties, whether community relations whether it's work with the press, with academia, with the media, whether it's work with the local Jewish communities, with African-American communities, with Hispanic communities, really bridge and build more bridges between the civil society in the United States, in the Midwest, and Israeli civil society, the Israeli government, and the U.S. government with the different local branches and the different states, and really build people-to-people, society-to-society relations. You know, there's a little more important, as we know, if you've been to Israel, if you have studied uh, U.S.-Israel relationships, the relationships of the Arab-Israeli conflict, Palestinian issues in Israel, uh, all that we see in the news media here in the United States, and then you go and visit Israel, and uh, after studying it, visiting and, and understanding it in that way on the ground, 
you realize how false and inaccurate the reporting is about Israel, uh, a country based and founded on human rights, uh, one of the most diverse and one of the most progressive countries, certainly in the Middle East, but anywhere in the world, uh, and one of the most democratic and freedom and liberty-loving countries anywhere, uh, a, a real uh, cousin to the United States, uh, if not a son or daughter to the United States. Uh, Daniel, what is, what is your role then as Deputy Consul General uh, in the consulate here in the Midwest? So what you said is correct. We see ourselves, we are sharing common values, shared values with the United States in any field that we look at, whether it's connected to human rights, democracy, freedom of speech, freedom of expression. If we are talking about innovation, spirit of innovation, if we are talking about the people, the relationship between people, the value we cherish for life. Is there freedom of the press in uh, in Israel? Definitely. <laughs> I wish there I mean, was the freedom of speech like that in other countries in the Middle East yeah. as there is in Israel. Yeah, so, I mean, it's outrageous. The attacks on the government, the, the, the openness of debate, uh, and, and the, the media is at the heart of it. It's exactly true. The media's role is to be watching democracy, and the media is doing that regardless who is prime minister, who is in power, and we are proud of that. We are proud of that, that we have freedom of expression also in politics, in civil society, in the media. This is the essence of democracy, and this is very, very important. And you asked me, what do I do as deputy consul general? So together with the consul general in AMCO and the rest of the consulate team, we're working very hard here in order to meet different people, different community leaders, different uh, different members of, if it's state senate, if it's congress, doesn't matter who, or if it's community leadership, to work together with them on tangible partnerships on the ground to strengthen these relations, to build bridges, to build joint projects together, to bring Israeli companies to work with local companies, to bring Israeli artists to come here, to bring local artists, to bring people to meet with each other and hear about it and understand what they, what they see in the media. Most of the time is a very specific angle, which is very narrow, and there's much more to it. Now, if everything is perfect, no. But is, any, is, is there any country in the world that's perfect? No. And Israel is another country in the world. It's a fabulous country with its challenges, but with great people, a lot of enthusiasm. And I think the more people are exposed to it and visit it, the more, like, as you mentioned before, they see the reality. They see the reality, indeed. We're talking to Deputy Consul General uh, from the state of Israel to the Midwest here in the United States, Daniel Ashheim. And we're going to be back after this very short break. Don't go anywhere. Stay with us. And while we're on this break, go to Parker DK. That's the one place you can go. Go to Parker DK. And learn about the premier law firm in downtown Minneapolis fighting for the rights of all, fighting for the integrity of our election system, uh, fighting against civil rights violations, defamation, and those things that uh, damage and harm each of us through the legal system here in the United States. That's Parker Daniels Keyboard. Go to ParkerDK.com. We'll be right back. With the Deputy Consulate General from the State of Israel, stay with us.
We're back. It's the Victory Hour. I'm Andrew Parker. And we we are overjoyed, really, to have, once again, from the Consulate General's office here in the United States to the Midwest, from the State of Israel, the Deputy Consul General, Daniel Ashine, joining us on the Victory Hour. On the other side of the break, we were talking about the State of Israel and uh, getting to know the state of Israel a bit better through uh, through an understanding of human rights and diversity and uh, progressive ideals of uh, fairness and integrity. Daniel, maybe you can speak about uh, women's rights in the state of Israel, uh, rights of minority groups in the state of Israel, whether they be... Uh, African American uh, or African, or whether they be uh, uh, Muslim or, or uh, any other uh, religion, Christian, uh, it's it's not a uh, Jewish only state. Yeah, you're right. There are those who are trying to undermine the connection between Israel, civil liberties, civil rights, equality. And we are claiming something else. Despite those who are trying to portray a picture that you can be either liberal or progressive or pro-Israel, it's just false. And Israel is a country that values human rights. It values women's equality, LGBTQ rights, minority rights. And we're talking about it women. It has one of the largest LBG, uh, LGBTQ uh, marches, parades anywhere in the world. And in fact, I think it was one of the first to start the recognition. That's correct, but this we're talking about now also in Tel Aviv, as you mentioned, yes. where one of the biggest ones, one of the biggest rallies we, we could see. But besides that, we're talking about women's rights. The state of Israel allowed women to vote before the state was founded. The Zionist movement was a movement before most of the countries in the Western world gave women their voting rights. It already gave rights. In the 19th, 20th century, we see the demo- democratic institutions forming before the state was established and then building this strong but very young democracy that we are today, and with 20% of its population being minorities, Muslim mostly, but also Christian, Armenian, Druze, Bedouins, and many other communities, giving them equal rights now. Is there points of discrimination? There are, like there are other places. Is Israel trying to bridge these gaps? It is, by many different projects, by different programs, by government spending of hundreds of millions of dollars in order to bridge gaps between the populations. But we see, we have the first time in history now, we had an Arab-Muslim Brotherhood Party, which are not legal in many of the Arab countries, head of the Interior Committee in the Parliament of Israel, in the Israeli it's coalition. Incredible. It's, it's incredible. incredible. We yeah. couldn't imagine such a thing. We see them in Supreme Court justices and justice, justices. We see them in academia. We see them in politics. We see them in civil society, in commerce. You're talking about Muslims. Muslims, Arabs, Arabs, Christians alike. Minority in the key positions in Israeli society. And we want to improve that. We see that we have Ethiopian Jews. We have non-Jews. We have a combination and big, big variety and diverse population inside the Jewish community, outside the Jewish community. In the end, we have to work together to build this society to make it an even more equal one. But it is a society that embraces its diversity. You know, I, I wish I had more uh, liberals, progressives, listening to my show every Sunday. I, uh, I think the population, uh, the total overall percentage, uh, is relatively small 
unfortunately. But if they were listening to this, they need to get the message that uh, Israel is a liberal progressive country. And it is one that from a financial and economic perspective, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, uh, has flourished based on uh, conservative fiscal policy, which changed from many decades of very liberal fiscal policy and really turned the country around into a tech giant. But from a cultural, social standpoint, a very liberal, progressive uh, country right in the middle of one of the most difficult and oppressive set of countries, and that is the Middle East, the Arab nations in the Middle East against minority uh, groups. Uh, but they stand strong for human rights. Uh, Daniel, describe a little bit how uh, is it that Israel is viewed as a critical strategic ally for the United States. What benefit does Israel really provide to the United States in terms of that geopolitical relationship? That's a great question. So first of all, Israel is an island of stability in the Middle East. It's an ally that America knows that they can always trust. As we said, it's based on mutual values, not only interests, but the interests collide with the shared values. And we're working together. We have a very strong alliance between the militaries, between the security forces, between the different institutions. We are developing safety mechanisms together. We are seeing the missile protection plan, which was the Iron Dome and others that are protecting Israel, but they're also going to be protecting allies of the United States around the world. We develop these things together. This is on the security standpoint. But besides that, Israel, as you mentioned before, is the startup nation. We're developing technologies that are helping heal the world. I don't want to sound Michael Jackson, heal the world, make it a better place, but it's the reality. Mm -hmm. Israeli technologies today are changing the world, whether it's in the northern parts of the United whether it's in the Bible Belt, whether it's in the other places, Israeli technology, whether it's in agriculture, whether it's in healthcare. Even we are sitting here in Minneapolis. A lot of the technologies that are based on health technologies on health from a distance, remote, are developed in Israel and are shared with companies here, local companies. We are talking about shared interests between the people, shared values in economy. We are talking about combination of people working with each other. What are, what are some of the tech innovations that people probably don't know uh, were created in the state of Israel? Irrigation, uh, intel cell phones, uh, you know, all of the sort of tech innovations that are coming out of Israel. Correct. It's in all the fields that you mentioned before, whether the drip irrigation that changed the world's agriculture, which is a system that was produced in Israel and was sold and given the technology in many other countries in the world. Cherry tomatoes, other vegetables and fruits that were developed that are used. We're talking about medical technologies. We have a pill that you put inside and it's it really takes pictures of your heart and internal organs. And instead of an invasion operation, you can just take a pill and it changes your life. We are talking about technologies for fintech, for medtech, for cybersecurity technologies. We are talking about agriculture technologies we mentioned before. But we are talking about a wide range of technologies. Anything from the things that are operating the cell phones to the discount key that was invented. Ways that we all use for, for traffic today. 
and many other technologies that we know in different brand names, most of the technologies came from the R&D, Research and Development Centers, which we have 300 and more of the biggest multinational companies in the world who have their headquarters of research and development in Israel. You know, it's amazing uh, when I go and visit my son in Tel Aviv. Uh, Rothschild Boulevard is in Tel Aviv, and it for many years and still today uh, is a, uh, a it, it's really a cultural tech center. This boulevard with small offices along both sides, some even larger uh, nowadays, and they have rooms, you know, just uh, four white walls. You sit and you think. <laughs> exactly. And you come up with these brainchild ideas. I've visited a number of them, and it has turned – it has really changed the world. That's correct. I wish I would have had some of these ideas. We would sit together and develop <laughs> them in this white room. Yeah. But it's true. You sit there and you walk. You see what the ecosystem actually means. A lot of times we use these buzzwords, ecosystem, innovation, startup nation – but in the end, you come and you see some bright young men and women from a diverse background sitting in a white room, as you mentioned, with one computer, sitting eating some Doritos and inventing something that is going to change the world. I always use the example. I had a friend whose brother came to me and said, I have an invention. When he was very young and I was very young, I, I saved a few thousand dollars for my job, my first job. I didn't even want to hear what he has to say. I said, I want to invest in your company. I didn't know what he's talking about. And he said, no, you know, friends, family don't go together. I don't want investment. Fast forward five years. He invented a startup that invents and predicts what the next viruses in the world will be before they are created. He was bought by PayPal for $350 million. And now he runs operations of PayPal in Israel, six different companies, new companies in the ecosystem, the southern Israel, in the desert, in the periphery, which became the cyber cyber." security hub of the world today. Well, you got to go with your intuition, Daniel, because uh, 350 million later. Exactly. <laughs> Where are we That's today? Right. <laughs> That's right. Well, you know, the, so you, you, you've got the startup nation. You have this, criti this critical strategic uh, alliance with the United States uh, in the war on terror for sure, uh, but militarily, in the healthcare industry, in the tech world, in the agriculture, and feeding uh, uh, people around the world, uh, all through connection between Israel and the United States. There's no country in the world per capita that has more innovations, more Nobel Prizes in different scientific fields uh, than the state of Israel. And uh, that in and of itself... Uh, is is warrants uh, full support for the state of Israel in addition to the human rights and equality standards uh, and freedom standards that uh, the state uh, holds so dear. I want to turn now to some geopolitical issues uh, with you, Daniel, and, and talk uh, quickly. I just saw the other day that... Uh, uh, the Israeli military, military thwarted an arms uh, smuggling uh, shipment uh, to Gaza that was coming from Egypt. Uh, what's going on as it relates to the Palestinians and 
Well, I'm going to catch up with you on that on the other side of the break. We do have to take a quick break. And uh, that's what I'm going to, I want to talk about is what's going on between the Israelis and the Palestinians. How significant is that on the priority list now for peace in the Middle East? Or is there another avenue to peace with the Palestinians and others in the Middle East other than direct negotiations with the Palestinians? We're talking to Daniel Ashheim, Deputy Consul General to the United States and the Midwest from the State of Israel. And we're going to continue our discussion on geopolitical issues on the other side. Go to ParkerDK.com during this short break. And go to MyPillow.com and put in the offer code VICTORY for up to 66% off. Indeed, VICTORY for 66% off. MyPillow.com. Great products. We'll be right back after this short break. Stay with us. Andrew Parker, and uh, we are talking with the Consul General on the Victory Hour today, the Deputy Consul General to the Midwest from the State of Israel, Daniel Ashheim, and we're talking about Israel as the startup nation, Israel as the beacon of human rights and progressive ideals in the Middle East, uh, the place where women have equal rights and equality, where all minorities uh, have the same and have taken on leadership roles and positions uh, across society. Now we're talking about some geopolitical issues, and I wanted to get your sense, uh, Daniel, of peace in the Middle East. Are we further from it since the Abraham Accords? Are we closer to it? Are we going to be able to capitalize on the work that Donald Trump did for the Abraham Accords? I know that no new peace deals have been signed with Joe Biden in office, but is there hope? So first of all, there's great hope. We see the work that started in the previous administration on the Abraham Accords, signing these historic peace agreements. I think because of COVID, it didn't get enough media attention around the world. Well, it did on the victory uh, hour. Thank I God. talked <laughs> about it at length. And, uh, and I talked about it as you have, as truly, you know, people throw around the historic uh, agreements, you know, and it may not be, but this truly is, was a historic historic set of accords. It is. It's a game changer. We are talking about countries that didn't have any relationship with Israel, at least not officially. It's true that we weren't in active war with them, but we didn't have any peace with them. And in within a year or two, we are talking about agreements of hundreds of millions of dollars of trade, of joint investments in healthcare, technologies, aviation, artificial intelligence, cybersecurity, which are changing the Middle East and changing the world, the Jewish state. And that's going on today. It's continuing today with this administration. That's the beauty of it. We are seeing a bipartisanship in these agreements. It started in the previous U.S. administration. It's continuing now. We saw President Biden's visit to Israel now, showing America's commitment, bipartisan commitment to the safety of the state of Israel. 
and to improving and making more new agreements coming in. We are really hoping for to see more agreements coming, whether it's with our Palestinian neighbors or whether it's with other countries. Regardless, Israel is always here and our hand is offering peace to whoever wants to do peace with us. You know, what you have to understand is that unintended consequences are often uh, negative consequences. But consequences of peace deals like this and the impact that they can have on other peace deals with other countries or a peace deal with the Palestinians is monumental. You may not get to peace through direct negotiations that have been attempted for decades upon decades with the Palestinians directly. But with peace rolling in the Middle East through country upon country upon country, the Palestinians cannot ignore it. And they must then, you know, uh, I don't want to say that they would become isolated with peace all around them, but they would have to turn toward peace which the Israelis have had open arms for from the beginning. You're right. The tragedy of the Palestinian people is that there, there was not one train that they missed. They did not miss. And through, throughout history, I'm talking about before the state of Israel was established, but through the last negotiation rounds in the 90s and the 2000s, we see ongoing, ongoing saying no, no, no to any resolution that's offered. Israel offered many things, and they always said no. In the international community offered, they said no. And the fact that there are new agreements in the Middle East are definitely a way that will push the Palestinian to a place to understand, are you on the right play, in the right place of history, or are you going to be again in denial and bring your people to a place that is not bringing them to see a bright future? We have a joint interest to see the Palestinian people thrive. The way the Palestinian people will thrive is only by sitting on the negotiation table and finding a justful resolution to the conflict and by dreaming of us disappearing from the map and beating us through other methods, they lost and they will continue to lose. You know, uh, that position uh, runs throughout Israeli society from left to right and center. Throughout Israeli society, whoever is uh, leading the country, that is the position. And it's been that way for, you know, it's virtually 85, 90% has that position. So let's talk about an even bigger issue, an existential issue, and that is uh, the matter of uh, Iran. Uh, The most significant, the largest purveyor of terrorism as a government, anywhere in the world, the government of Iran. Uh, Are the Iranian threats real, and is it an existential threat to the state of Israel, and does that impact the U.S.-Israel relationship? The answer is that they're not, not only threats. Every day, as we speak now, Andrew, Iran is giving weapons, is funding terrorists, are funding proxies of terrorists, and they are destabilizing the Middle East and the world, whether in Yemen against Saudi Arabia, whether in Syria, whether in in Jordan, whether in Lebanon, whether in the Gaza Strip, doesn't matter what, they are funding terrorism activities and are doing everything in their capacity 
to harm Israeli civilians in Israel and around the world, Israeli diplomats around the world. And they have a lot of experience in that because they succeeded in some things, some things we were able to, to stop and prevent them from doing in the middle, like we saw in Turkey recently. And Iran is doing everything in its capacity to acquire nuclear weapons. And they are saying it loud and clear for many years that they are for the destruction of the state of Israel. So are we in favor of a new Iran deal or not? We are in favor of Iran not acquiring nuclear weapons. And any method to bring that is a method that we are fine with, as long as, and this is very important to emphasize, if a deal is signed, and this we see eye to eye with the United States administration, that Iran and President Biden reiterated it now, Iran will never acquire nuclear weapons. We both agree on that. What we sometimes have different viewpoints on is how to achieve that goal. And the strategy and tactics, whether we, what we are saying is if an agreement is signed, it has to be longer than the previous one, which was not a good agreement, and stronger and more comprehensive. And on the other side, it also has to hold, needs to be a credible military threat for a strike that is a credible one, that the Iranians will know that if they will not follow word by word in the agreement that will be a stronger and durable one and longer, it's their risk their own risk because they know there's a credible military strike ahead of them. I, I now speak, uh, and I, I, I don't speak certainly for the Israeli government, and I am not speaking or putting words in Daniel Ashon, the deputy consul general's mouth either, uh, but it needs to be recognized that President Biden has put around him uh, the same decision makers, policy makers, uh, that Barack Obama had in 2015 that built the famous JCPOA, the Iran deal in 2015. That was a complete failure. Uh, it has not derailed Iran's nuclear ambitions nor their nuclear program. It gave them uh, in excess of $100 billion. All they did was create more chaos around the Middle East. Uh, our Arab uh, allies at that point, after we signed that deal and pushed it through, viewed us differently than they did prior to that. And so, you know, we have cause to be nervous about the fact that these same policymakers are putting together, apparently today, you know, now, uh, a similar deal. Uh, it may be as bad a deal, but as Daniel Ashheim points out, any deal that keeps Iran from getting a nuclear weapon and does so in a way that does not prop up the regime of Iran to, to cement them further in place, which I thought the 2015 Iran deal did, is a deal that we might be able to, uh, we might be able to live with. Lastly, on geopolitical issues, I wanted to ask you about uh, Hezbollah. You know, they, they don't get the headlines as they once uh, did, uh, but they are arguably, and, and I think it's, it's not even arguable, uh, stronger than they've ever been in terms of military strength. Uh, and what does that mean for the dangers in the north of Israel? So, as you mentioned, Hezbollah is a vicious terrorist organization that is a country within a country, an army within an army in Lebanon. They've destroyed Lebanon? They've destroyed Lebanon, and it's Lebanon's responsibility to, to fight back. 
And Lebanon can't keep on playing the double game on the one hand claim that, that they are ruling, on the other hand saying they're not ruling. And Hezbollah is, is, is built a strong, independent state and they have the ar- army and they are getting weapons from Iran and they are threatening Israel and they are deterred. They are deterred because of the previous war, that the previous adventure they took Lebanon to And Israel showed them that they will not they will not succeed, and since then they are deterred, and we'll, we are keeping this deterrence by preventing them from acquiring strategic weapons and by pointing it out to the Lebanese people that the catastrophe that will come on them if Hezbollah attacks is something that is their responsibility of the Lebanese government to take care of. We're talking to Deputy Consul General from the State of Israel to the Midwest here in the United States, Daniel Ashheim here on the Victory Hour this wonderful uh, Sunday afternoon. We're going to talk on the other side of the break uh, with the Deputy uh, Consul General about elections in Israel. It seems that you could... Well, have him on at any time and talk about elections because that's all they have going on in Israel. Five elections in the last three years, the fifth one coming up in November, just called. Three prime ministers in the last 13 months. Three different prime ministers of the state of Israel. So we're going to talk about elections and how that may roll and the changing population in the state of Israel and how U.S. Jewry is dealing with that change. Make sure to stay with us. It's going to be interesting. We'll be right back after this short break. Go to parkerdk.com. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for joining. It's the Victory Hour. We're back with Deputy Council General from the State of Israel to the Midwest, Daniel Ashheim, and we, on the other side of the break, had just started talking about the upcoming elections in the State of Israel. Yes, in November, it's not just elections here in the United States, which are going to determine the House of Representatives and the Senate, uh, as well as many state legislatures across the country, but Big elections coming up in the state of, uh, state of Israel. Uh, as you may recall, if you have been a regular listener of the Victory Hour, we go through the election process and system in the state of Israel quite often. And so you know there are, uh, what, 120 seats in the Knesset in the state of Israel. So you need uh, 61 to uh, form a government and select a prime minister. Uh, and you know, form a coalition, and no one, uh, no single party ever gets sixty-one. Uh, I don't think in in the history of the state of Israel has a party gotten. Maybe in the early years, the Labor Party did, but uh, certainly not for many, many decades has that occurred. So you've got to cobble together different parties, and uh, you need to get a threshold of three and a quarter percent in order to get a seat in the Knesset and to have any sort of say whatsoever. Uh, And in putting together a coalition, uh, it broke down. It was very the most narrow of coalitions 
in the last government where they had shared prime ministerships uh, between Neftali Bennett, more conservative candidate, and uh, Yair Lapid, more centrist, uh, left-leaning candidate, uh, who were both uh, prime ministers for a few months. Lapid is currently the prime minister in the state of Israel. And so uh, that coalition broke down, and they're having elections in November. What can we expect, Mr. Ashheim? Ooh, you asked the toughest question of the year. And <laughs> as you mentioned, five times we tried. We don't know what four times we tried. We don't know what the fifth is going to bring and lead to. It's unfortunate that we are in this situation. There's no other way to say it. We can talk about how thriving the democracy is to see that the population are going again and again to vote. And the, the government, the coalition government that you mentioned, it has benefits and disadvantages. I think the benefit of it is that really you get representation. So you're voting for someone who you think specifically represent who you are, and you need to build coalition and you need to do compromise. It's very challenging nowadays to get compromises on many things, and we don't know what it's going to lead to, and we shall see what the results are going to be, whether the, for the block that supports Netanyahu will have the majority as he wants, 61, to form a government alone, or the other bloc will be able to reach a different number or have him less reach less than 61 to form a different kind of government. It's very unclear, according to the polls, what the results are going to lead to, what is going to be the new coalition, if at all, and who is going to run together with who. And a lot of these elections are, again, based on the previous ones, so what will be the relationship with prime, former Prime Minister Netanyahu? Will you sit with him or will you not? Yes, Bibi Netanyahu may not be uh, in power presently, but he has not left the scene whatsoever. He is uh, a critical, I don't say power broker, but I guess to some extent he certainly is in the state of Israel and you can't get around the... Uh, uh, the big figure that he is uh, in Israeli politics without dealing with him in some respects. The Likud has a great deal of uh, authority and and power in uh, the electorate in the state of Israel, and I think they could well maintain the majority and get prime ministership uh, back in uh, within Likud hands, if it were not Bibi Netanyahu that was at the helm, uh, he was there for twelve years, and that is, uh, wasn't he? I mean, he, and he, yes. yeah, twelve years uh, as the uh, prime minister. It's you know, it's simply uh, a long period of time. Uh, Daniel, before we break today, and I and I really want to thank you for joining us. It's it's been fascinating. I want to I want to ask you we've got a couple of minutes uh, left an article that I read recently about the changing uh, demographics in the state of Israel Jewish demographics in the state of Israel um Sephardic uh Jews uh Jews from Af- Africa and other places around the world Russian Jews uh Mizrahi uh, across the board, uh, generally viewed as minority Jewish groups, uh, have become uh, a large portion of the population in Israel. What is what impact has that had on the relationship with American Jewry? 
So what you described is correct. The, the population of the state of Israel is as very diverse as we mentioned before, and it changed. We see currently a majority that is not anymore Ashkenazi Jews coming from Europe, and it changed many of the cultural things that are taking place in Israel. And will it have an effect on the Americans? I don't know. I think the relationship is strong and will continue to be strong. God willing, uh, that's Daniel Ashheim. He uh, has just been so kind to spend his uh, Sunday afternoon with us. We thank him very much. That's Deputy Consul General from the State of Israel. Until next week, have a wonderful week, and we'll be right here, 4 o'clock Sunday, the Victory Hour. Thank you. Thank you. Bernie knows his way around, and so I always do what Bernie recommends. You've been listening to the Victory Hour with Andrew Parker of Parker Daniels Keyboard. Wise counsel, winning results. For more information, go to parkerdk.com. Until next time, he leaves you with these words from Winston Churchill. All the great things are simple, and many can be expressed in a single word. Freedom, justice, honor, duty, mercy, and hope. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.